but how to, to pray for ourselves as well. So open with me to Acts chapter 20. Open up with me to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 24 is what we're going to read and look at today. Paul, um, oh well, I'll explain it additionally here momentarily. Let's turn there and read it and then we will pray. So starting in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Luke writes, Now from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus, he being, there being Paul, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We want to testify today to the gospel of grace, of the good news of of your grace, not merited for then it would not be grace but would be due, but, but grace freely given to us in Christ. And it is that message that we want to proclaim faithfully here. It is that message that we want to, uh, to send Chris and Anne off to proclaim in Eugene. And as you move people out from among us, even as you did in Acts, whether that be leaders in the church or members of the church, we, we pray that the gospel would go with them that people would come to a saving knowledge of your son because you sent them out from here. Lord, it's, it's difficult to say goodbye. It's, it's a painful process for us. And yet, you've been moving your people around where you desire them to be for millennia. And, and you are sovereignly in control of all things. And so, Father, we pray that there would be great blessing that awaits them there in terms of ministry, in terms of family, but, Lord, that there would be exciting ministry that happens here as well. Lord, in thinking of ministry, we want to pray for uh, Peter and Debbie Dodds. We want to continue to pray for them this month. Lord, we thank you for the report of a food bank that was started in cooperation with a local grocery store there. Lord, we pray that that would uh, bear opportunity for gospel witness, that, that gospel love would create gospel opportunity, and that gospel proclamation would result in gospel salvation. May we be willing to do the same. May our proclamation of the gospel and our uh, gospel love match as we go out into the world, as we gather just for one hour a week, may we understand that the gathering of your body 
is as important as the scattering of your body. And that we would not just pray for them and their gospel witness and ministry over there, but that we would be committed to gospel ministry and witness here. Lord, we pray for their daughters, Elizabeth and Sarah, who are on mission trips. Lord, we know that, that by far the safest place to be is in your will. And so as they are traveling and, and doing your work, we know that they are as safe in this life as you desire them to be and as safe in the next as they can be in Christ, which is perfect safety. And so, Father, we pray that it would be instrumental for them in just their love and affection for you, but also in the spread of the gospel. Lord, we pray along with Peter and Debbie for just the protection of, of, the, of Taiwan and the Taiwanese people from aggression and from the, uh, just the, the, the um, instability and, and uncertainty of things there now. Lord, as we look now to your word, we ask that you would just open our hearts and minds that we might understand and um, and know your word and obey it and, and trust you in your plan. And we ask it all for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said last week, we had the privilege of celebrating uh, Pastor Edgar and his uh, 10th anniversary here at Trinity. But it's not just Pastor Edgar that had uh, celebrated 10 years or is celebrating 10 years at Trinity. Pastor Chris has also served here for 10 years, just a little over 10 years. I believe you got here shortly before uh, Pastor Edgar came. And we are celebrating his 10 years in, in the form of a farewell. And this passage in Acts is really a, a farewell also. Paul had not only, uh, I mean, Paul had spent years pastoring the church in Ephesus. This is a church that he at one point in time had to say farewell to in terms of just his leadership and being present among them. And as he is on his way to Jerusalem, knowing that he is a wanted man there, and the Spirit testifying that wherever he goes, persecutions await, and he does not know what's coming, he calls these Ephesian elders to himself knowing that he, he probably doesn't have time to go to Ephesus. He had a deadline as to when he wanted to get to Jerusalem. And if he went to Ephesus, there would be many who would want to see him. So rather than going there, he calls the elders of this church that he loves to say farewell and to instruct them on how to lead the church. But this isn't just how the church is going to honor Paul it is how, how Paul is going to honor the church. And so as I preach this sermon today that I've entitled, Honoring the Departed Minister, uh, there's going to be decisively two fingers pointed. One finger will be pointed directly at us. How do we, as a church, honor the 10 years of ministry that Chris and his family has given us. There's an application for us from this text. And the other finger will be pointed decisively at the Harrisons in a call for them to honor the 10 years of, of their service to us as well. Not in different ways, but see, I don't think Paul is calling the church in Ephesus here 
to do anything other than what he had, one, already done, as he makes clear, and two, will continue to do until the point that he dies. So this isn't just how the church is going to honor Paul. This is also the kind of ministry that honors the church. As we are saying goodbye to, uh, to Pastor Chris, we're saying goodbye to the pastor here at Trinity with the most tenure. Because you're not quite up to 10 years, are you? Nine years. So, I mean, you guys all three came right at the same time. Edgar's going to be the old man on the block now uh, as we say goodbye to, to the Harrisons. But, uh, but Chris, right now, is Trinity's, as far as who's on staff, longest serving minister. So we want to honor him. We want to honor you both, knowing that this is not just a solo ministry. It's a whole family endeavor and your whole family has given to the church. And, and, uh, and we want to call you as well to honor us. And so I want to see in this text today four ways to honor a departing pastor. Four ways to honor a departing pastor and a departed church. And so as we live these values out among us, We will honor Chris and the ministry that he has given to us. And as they go to their next place that God is calling them and and live uh, them out, they will honor us as well. The the future shape of our ministry and and Chris's uh, ministry will honor the time that he has spent here. I want to... uh, I want to just speak for a moment, if I can, to say that, that in many ways, Chris's ministry has, without a doubt, shaped the church, Chris and Anne's, for the last 10 years. And, uh, and, and the thing that I have heard on repeat over the last two weeks uh, since we announced, two or three weeks, however long it's been since we announced your departure, um, from, from many people is just, and, and you know... I, th- I, think, I think what God does is, um, I think he lets us see uh, enough of our ministry and, and, and what he does through us to keep us going, but not enough to let us be prideful. I think in many ways, God hides from us the things he does through us. And that's not just for the minister. That's through all of us. And I think maybe it's why we're reminded in Scripture that God's word never goes out void because we don't see what he's doing through us. Because then we're, we're just tempted to pride. We're tempted to, uh, to think, wow, look at how great I am. Look at how many lives I've changed. Look at how much good I've done. I'm a prideful man, and so I try and keep before me regularly 1 Corinthians 3. He who plants and he who waters is nothing but God who gives the increase. And just remind myself that, that I, uh, the, those of us, the, the four pastors here in this room, brothers, we work the only job in the world where we can take credit for none of the successes and all of the failures. And I think in God's endeavor to keep us humble, sometimes some of what God has done through us doesn't get back to us. 
And that's okay. Because so, uh, that, that knowledge in the hands of somebody as prideful as I am is probably just dangerous. I digress. The point of all of this was that I don't know what you have heard over the past few weeks. But what I have heard repeatedly is sorrow and the thing that people have said over and over again is, man, in the time between Brad and you, Chris kept us afloat, alive, going. And, and I'm sure that's true for, for more than just Chris, but it feels that way right now because, um, because you were the, the face of the church in many ways. The, I, I, I like to think of Peter as the mouthpiece of the apostles. You were the mouthpiece during that time. And, and there's a, a room full of people here who have appreciated you guys and your ministry. In fact, um, when I started thinking about turning a resume into Trinity, I called Thad up and I was like, I've listened to this guy's sermons. Why is he not applying for the job? So, um, m- maybe what you mean by uh, I've gotten them ready for you is a little different than uh, what is reality. But... Anyways, I just want you guys to hear from me that I have heard over the past couple of weeks a tremendous amount of appreciation for both of you and for your ministry and your time here. So back to the point, four ways to honor a departing pastor and a departed church. Number one, conduct yourself with humility. Conduct yourself with humility. Paul starts out this passage by calling the Ephesian elders to himself, and then he says in verse 18 that they know how he lived among them the whole time from the first day that he set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. It may seem weird that Paul says he served them with humility because I think far uh, too often maybe, and I mean that, far too often, we think that humble people don't know that they're humble, right? Humble people don't know that they're humble. I, I actually don't think that that's true. I think you can be humble and know you're humble. Because here, Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, records Paul, and seemingly rightly, to say that he served them with humility. This reminds me of Numbers 12.3. Numbers 12.3, being penned by Moses, says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Well, that doesn't seem very humble. How can you be meek, Moses? How can you be, some translations say humble. How can you be humble if you believe that you're the most humble person on the face of the earth? Well, the answer for that is that humility consists less in thinking lowly of yourself and more in just thinking of yourself less. Humility doesn't consist so much in thinking poorly about yourself. It is not self-deprecation. In fact, I think self-deprecation is incredibly prideful. Let me explain this to you. One of the things that is often uh, on repeat in my mind was, is, is something along this, these lines. I, I get how God can love everybody else. It's me I don't understand how he loves. 
Is that not the most prideful thing you have ever heard? As though I'm some kind of special sinner beyond God's affection? I mean, I can be prideful even in thinking of myself as a sinner. That's how prideful I am. See, humility, even in self-deprecation, even in thinking badly of yourself, can, can be incredibly prideful. Humility doesn't consist primarily of thinking less of yourself. It simply consists in thinking of yourself less. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God. In other words, though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now let me ask you, do you think Jesus thought low thoughts of himself? Because if he did, that would be very bad. Because then he would not be thinking things that are true. And he would not be the way, the truth, and the life. He's not thinking badly of himself. He, he's just not thinking of himself. Though he was God, he didn't grasp at being God, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus, in Jesus, humility did not consist of thinking lowly of himself. He thought very highly of himself. And when he thought highly of himself, he was thinking of himself rightly. The reason it's bad for me to think too highly of myself is because then I'm not thinking rightly about myself. But when he thinks lofty thoughts about himself, he is thinking rightly of himself. But here it says... That the creator of heaven and earth, who was in the form of God, the Savior, was humble. And he was humble because he simply thought of us and of the Father. Jesus was in the form of God, but he didn't grasp at it. And this is how we are to be. As we, as we think about honoring the church, whether that be us here or the Harrisons there, the question before us is, who do you think about most in the church? Yourself or others? Did you step through the doors this morning eager to give something away to someone else or with eager expectation that someone gives something to you? Do you think about what you get, what you like, what you need, what you want, or what you can give? Now, no doubt, there is a time to receive. There is a time to receive. And there may be a day when something in your life has been so tragic that you walk through the doors with nothing to give, and that's okay. But if your general posture towards the church consists more of what you can get than what you can give, then you might need to consider what a position or a posture 
of humility looks like. Note in verse 19 how when Paul served with all humility, it was with tears and trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. And he didn't quit. He's got people outside the church plotting against him in the synagogues where he's ministering to Gentiles. He's on the most wanted list in, in, in Jerusalem. They want to capture him and, and kill him. He is ministering to them through trials, tears, arrest. I mean, he had a, a rough go there. In fact, I'll, I'll get ahead of myself, but 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, Paul records for us, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hard through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I've been beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, robbed, imprisoned, lied about, attacked, plotted against. But the big thing weighing on me is how the people in the churches are doing. That's humility. It's humility. He didn't think about what he was getting from them. He was willing to serve through tears and hardship and difficulty and plots and division. I mean, he writes that to the church in Corinth. That's the church nobody wanted to pastor. It was a hot mess. And yet, there he was, faithful to them. A ministry here, the church here and the church there, will be honored as we serve with humility. Secondly, we commit ourselves, commit yourself to the ministry of the word. Commit yourself to the ministry of the word. Notice that through all this in verse 20, he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Last time I checked, one of the things that Paul wrote was that all Scripture is profitable. And he did not shrink back from proclaiming any of it. A ministry that honors the church and its ministers and the churches that we go from is a ministry of the Word. Every single one of us should have a ministry of the word, that Paul had a ministry of the word. And in fact, here's how seriously he took having a ministry of the word that proclaimed the whole truth of God, that he did not shrink from declaring anything profitable. Fast forward to verse uh, 26 that we're not really looking at today. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, to fail to proclaim the whole counsel of God is to be guilty of the blood of those to whom we minister. All scripture is profitable. 
All of it. And we must have a ministry of the word. Paul did. He faithfully proclaimed to them the whole counsel of God. He faithfully proclaimed to them the whole of the word of God because all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And I'm not saying that every person in this room has to teach a class or preach a sermon. So how then do we have a ministry of the word? Maybe you have a ministry of the word by going to a class and participating in the conversation. Maybe you have a ministry of the word by participating faithfully in your growth group and engaging in the discussion. Maybe you have a ministry of the word by by regularly getting together with somebody over coffee and just hearing from them about what's going on in their life. I got a great formula for how this works. I I heard this from somebody else. It's a great litmus test. Take somebody out for lunch and make sure your plate is empty before theirs. Because all you're doing is listening. And then, when you've heard, speak the word of God into their circumstances, into their life. Whether that be sometimes correction or often encouragement, we all can and should have a ministry of the word. We sat in the Davenport's living room for one of these family meetings in Sydney West, or not Sydney Weston, I'm sorry. That was, that was bad. That was bad. That's just habit right there. But we were talking, and, um, and Sydney Morgan, forgive me for that, Jason, uh, was, and Sydney. She, she said something that I told her I was going to talk about. She just probably didn't expect me to talk about it this fast. And we were talking about hospitality and fellowship in the church. And I've talked to several of you whose hair is on the whiter or goner side. And, um, and I've told you that young people desire to be in a relationship with you. And oftentimes I hear, what? No, they don't. What I heard from them was how much they would love to have people of older generations be hospitable to them, welcome them into their homes and lives and around their tables, and to have a ministry of the word. Which reminds me of David in Psalms, saying that he wanted God to leave him, actually it might be Asaph, but leave him on this earth until the faith was proclaimed to the next generation. Don't just have a ministry of the word among your peers. Don't have a growth group where everybody is like you. Don't have fellowship where you're all in the same stage of life. Be somebody's, to quote Keegan, Weston, I'm going to get your last name right because it ain't going to change. Be somebody's in-town grandma. Those relationships have been incredibly valuable to, to my son. But commit yourself to a ministry of the word. By the way, this, this kind of hospitality, coffee, meals, just uh, listening to what's going on in people's lives and speaking the word of God into them, that's how we reach 500 people, 500 families in five years. Not, 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 not by inviting them to church. That might be part of it for sure. 
by taking them out for a meal or having a meal at your house and making sure your plate's empty first. And then when you've heard from them speaking the word of God into their lives, we put ourselves in very ordinary places so that we can speak the extraordinary word of God to people. Commit yourself to the ministry of the word. Thirdly, we honor a departing minister and a departed church by connecting with unbelievers where they are. By connecting with unbelievers where they are. Look with me at verse 21, where Paul says that during all of this, this house-to-house ministry and public ministry and not shrinking from declaring anything profitable, he testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He met the Jews in the Areopagus. He met the Jews in the square. He wandered the city to see where people were, what their affections were for, what they worshipped, and he proclaimed the gospel. He went to the synagogues and proclaimed the gospel. He did not say, I have a house church, come join me. He got out where the people were. He met them where they were at. So whether it was publicly in the square, from house to house, in the Areopagus or in the synagogue, in prison or or in the square, Paul testified to people about repentance and faith. I love that, that he testified to them of repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. And I've spoken to this over and over again. These are not two things. They're they're the same thing looked at from a different angle. But when we turn from sin, that is repentance, and we turn towards Christ, that's faith, we're saved. But we have to proclaim the fullness of that message. We must proclaim faith and repentance because there is a world full of people out there that want to be saved from the consequences of their sin but have little desire of being saved from their sin. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to hell. But not everybody is willing to repent of their sin and have faith in Jesus Christ in order to inherit eternal life. And we have no right to hide from them that the gospel of grace is a gospel of faith and repentance. And we will honor Chris's ministry, and Chris and Ann will honor us as we go out and proclaim faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. We've got to reach people where they're at. And we've got to be able to share the gospel with them. It is remarkable to me how often Christians are unable to articulate the gospel. Write this down. God, man, Jesus response. God, man, Jesus response. If you can remember those four things or write them down in your Bible, if you can't remember them, you can share the gospel with somebody. 
The gospel is this, that God is a holy God who loves us but cannot tolerate sin because he is holy and he is separate from all that is wrong. And he is so holy that he is angry towards our sin and that man is both by choice and by nature sinful and opposed to God. And that because God is holy and we are sinful, there is a division between God and man. But Jesus, the God-man, lived the perfectly sinless life that God the Father demanded of us all. And though he did not deserve to die because he never sinned, he died in our place, took our condemnation, bore our punishment, bore God's wrath, so that when we respond in faith and repentance, when we turn from our sin and to Christ, we are reconciled to God in Jesus. If you can tell somebody that God is holy, that man is sinful, that Jesus is the eternal God who became a man to die for us and live a sinless life for us and raise again three days later and that our response is repentance and faith, you can share the gospel with somebody. Go meet unbelievers where they're at. Hear from them and have a ministry of the word to them as well that speaks of who God is and who we are and what Jesus has done and how we are to respond. And fourthly, Count the cost of the Christian life. Count the cost of the Christian life. The, 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 the message of faith in Christ is costly. Wait a minute, Logan. You just told me that, that it's free. It is free. And it will cost you everything. How can that make any sense? Well... I could give you a massive estate with a multi-million dollar home and acres upon acres of land and gigantic swimming pools and you will quickly find out how much it costs even if you got it for free. Because, yes, salvation is free, but the cost is repentance. The cost is that I must turn from my sin and towards Christ. I must love him more than anything else. And and we must not only neglect that salvation is a matter of faith and repentance, but we must not hide the fact that we are still called to count the cost. Look with me again at verses 22 through 24. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem where I'm wanted constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I'm going to Jerusalem. God's told me to go. I don't know what's go- what I'm going to meet there, but the one thing I know is it's not going to be good. But I do not count my life of any value 
nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify to the gospel of grace of the grace of God. I'm going there, and bad things are going to happen, and I don't know what yet, but it doesn't really matter because my life means very little to me. What matters to me is those believers and non-believers who need to hear the gospel of grace. Is there not an immense amount of humility in that? as he considers that his ministry of the word is more important than than his life. He counted the cost. Paul, go to Jerusalem. You're wanted there. You know they want to kill you there. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen there. You just got to know it's bad. Paul's like, okay. Because he had counted the cost. He didn't give up when he met 40 lashes minus one from the Jews five times, three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked. Man, you think of cats having nine lives, Paul's got like 20. And night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. We must count the cost and we must call others to count the cost. And so here is my charge to all of us, whether it's those of us who stay and, minister, and, and want to honor the ministry of those who have gone before us, or whether it's those who are departing from us, the charge is the same. Be humble and think of others. Have a ministry of the word, whether that's a teaching ministry from the pulpit or in a class or just in the relationships with believers and non-believers alike that we come into contact with in our work and in our hobbies and in our neighborhoods. Have a ministry of the word. Connect with people where they are and count the cost. And call them to count the cost. This is how we honor Chris's labor of love among us. And Chris, this is how you honor the investment Trinity has made in you and in your family as well. We think of others. We have a ministry of the word. We connect with people where they are, and we count the cost. Heavenly Father, we, we love you, and we declare with our lips that you are worthy above all things of glory and honor and blessing. It's much harder with our lives. We often fail at that. But you are worthy. And we proclaim your worthiness. And Lord, may we be this, this kind of church, these kind of believers. May we, may we live this out here at Trinity and in Eugene. And anywhere else you take people, as you move people to Colorado and to Montana and, and various other places, Lord, as we go out, would we be these kind of humble, word-ministering, people-engaging, cost-counting believers? And may that be for your glory, for the good of your church.
Jesus' name, amen.